0: Again, we would like to welcome you to Crosspoint this morning. Uh, We're going to be in Romans 128, if you'd like to go ahead and turn there. Uh, I want to encourage you to, if you didn't bring a Bible, use the Bible in the chair. If you're against typed up text in book form, you can use your phones, but don't be texting and stuff and making us think you're using your Bible, because we're going to need our Bibles this morning. Um, as we do every morning. Uh, If you are a visitor this morning, I wanted to give you a little reminder before we dig in that these are little welcome cards that are in the backs of the chairs. It's a way for us to connect with you and get you connected to others if you would like that. And so I want to encourage you to fill that out and put it in the plate uh, as it passes uh, here uh, later on in the service. Uh, Let's pray, and then we'll dig into Romans 1 together. Lord, we love you. Um, This time is all about you. Lord, I pray that the things that we just sang would genuinely be um, what we actually desire this morning. Um, we are thankful that you are reigning uh, and ruling. Uh, Lord, this morning we want to pray um, for another church. We pray for Ridgecrest and just pray for Matt Beasley as he leads out there as, as a lead pastor. and. Uh, just pray for him and his his team of elders as they serve that church i pray that that you would bless them abundantly i pray that that church would would flourish um, i'm thankful for ridgecrest planting this church almost 14 years ago now i'm thankful for that blessing and i pray that you would bless and encourage them i pray for matt i pray for his marriage that that uh, they would be enjoying you together and that that would be a fuel for his ministry lord we also want to uh, pray for just our city officials and um, I pray that as they serve um, this city, that they would do so um, with, with diligence, with insight, and with discernment, and that it would be a real blessing uh, to members of our city. Uh, Lord, we humble ourselves before you in Romans 1 this morning. As we, as we read about um, your wrath, and as we read about um, some things that are, frankly, very terrifying, uh, my hope is that we would see things soberly. And we would be honest this morning, and that we would humble and submit ourselves to you. We love you. We praise you. We thank you for Jesus, and we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. This is our last sermon in a series of six sermons on God's wrath. So we have spent six weeks considering God's wrath, and it's certainly not been light. It's been heavy. It's been sobering. And so it's okay if you rejoice a little bit that this is the last one in the, in the six-part series. But here's what we've learned. What we've learned is that the wrath of God is towards unrighteousness and ungodliness because together they suppress the truth. Our God is a God who is all about the forward movement of his truth, the truth. His Son is the way, the truth, and the life. And so God has a holy, righteous, white-hot anger towards that which suppresses truth, because he's all about the forward movement of the truth. The problem we found in Romans 1 is that we have also found that every human being, including you and including me, is guilty of this unrighteousness. So humanity finds itself alienated from God in their sin and therefore deserving of God's wrath, sobering indeed. Oftentimes when we think of wrath, we think of the future or we think of eternity, knowing that one day Jesus will come back and God will judge the earth, God will pour out his wrath on those who have rejected him and he will do so eternally. But what we have found in Romans 1 is that there is a present day exercise of the wrath of God, a present day exercise that we can see today In in cultures and nations and all throughout the world where God has rejected, a present-day exercise of God's wrath that can be seen in the lives of those who have exchanged the truth about God for a lie, who have set Creator aside so as to be able to worship that which was created. First, what we see is God gives them up to lust. That's what we looked at two weeks ago. Then last week we considered that a form of His wrath is in giving them up to dishonorable passions. And then finally this week, God gives them up to a debased mind. So to give you sort of your bearings, if if maybe this is your first week, what we found is that the first thing that God gives people up to, he hands them over, rather than this heavy hand, it's a a hand that opens and gives them over to lust, which is bad. And then the second week, there's this this, um, increasing nature of vileness. And the second week is given up to dishonorable passions, which is even worse. And this week... Is a debased mind which is as bad as it gets. Look at Romans 1 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, Strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. And seeming an overwhelming list there, very comprehensive. And it says, Though they know God's righteous decree, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. The third and final exercise of God's wrath in Romans 1 is giving unrepentant humanity over to a debased mind. A debased mind. So here's our outline for the morning. It's it's really simple and straightforward. We're going to consider the motivation for God's wrath to give humanity over to a debased mind, and then we're going to look at the details of the debased mind, and then we're going to look at four application points that are kind of obvious from our text. So first, the motivation for God's wrath. Why? I mean, I know growing up, I had a view of God's wrath that was confusing at best. I, I pictured you know heavy-handed throwing of thunderbolts, smiting wrongdoers. It terrified me. If someone wanted to bring it up, I didn't want to talk about it because I just thought it was scary. It seemed like an anger that was, um, to me, that it was like an anger that was sort of unpredictable. Like, like he just wants to scare us. And that's not what we have found here. What we find is it is, in fact, very specific. And here we can see that the motivation for God's wrath in giving them over to a debased mind is this. They did not see fit to acknowledge God. It's that simple since they did not see fit to acknowledge God. Over the last few weeks, we've been working with this illustration of what it means for God to give over in wrath, to give us over to lust, to give us over to dishonorable passions, and to give us over to a debased mind, as we see this morning. We've considered an illustration of God giving us over. We've considered that humankind is like a boat in a raging river, and God is holding on to this tether that human, um, God is holding on to this tether that keeps us from being swept up in death and destruction. So picture that. Picture a, ri- a river raging, scary, us being the boat and God being the tether that holds us and keeps us from just being swept up in death and destruction. Picture that in your head. This picture of being given up to lust and dishonorable passions and a debased mind is a picture of God letting go of that tether, giving us up to the destruction and death Of unrepentance. And what we're gonna see this morning is that this debased mind that is given up to, it's not that we're just in the river, but the picture I want you to see this morning as we further develop this illustration is it is as though we are this boat in this river that is raging. God is holding on to us, keeping us from being swept up. And rather than just sitting in the boat, we're rowing the other way. That's the picture I want you to see this morning. We're trying to row out into this river of death and destruction, and God is holding on to us. So it's not just that we're sitting there neutral one way or the other. We are actually moving in opposition to God. He literally gives you over to the sin that you have chosen over him. So his wrath is found not in a heavy hand, but in a handing over. For the last two weeks, the handing over has been to immorality, to lust, and to dishonorable passions. And this week, it is to inhumanity. Last two weeks it was to immorality. This week is to inhumanity through a mind that is broken. So in this verse, we find the motivation for why God opens his hand and lets go of the tether. We have this ability to climb into the mind of God this morning and hear him saying this, I created them and I created their minds in such a manner that they can and should use their minds to acknowledge me. They can and should use their brains to acknowledge me, but they, since they did not see fit to acknowledge me, since they didn't take time to do that, since they went day after day after day just tending to life and its many different things without acknowledging me, I will give them over to their debased minds. In the original language, there's a few things we can learn. It indicates that humanity not seeing fit means that they didn't look closer when they should have. They didn't think it was necessary to further examine their creator. Remember, God made creation. He made us and all things created in a way to communicate things about himself. And he gave us a mind to be able to look at that and then consider our creator and look a little more closely and examine. They refused to have God in their knowledge. By not acknowledging God, They lost that little bit of knowledge that they had through creation. And the word acknowledge, which comes next, it says, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, the word acknowledge is epinosis. You may have heard Ben talk about this in, in a couple previous sermons. It's the difference between knowing and acknowledging. What they're guilty of is they could know God through creation, but they did not go the further step that they should have in acknowledging God as creator, honoring God thanking God. It was just, there's a basic knowledge there that they didn't move forward on when the basic knowledge was designed for them to move forward. They didn't acknowledge when they had the knowledge. So I want you to listen to this little definition to help us really understand what they're guilty of here. Because they're guilty of something in their thoughts. And so it's, it's kind of a weird thing for us to try to grab hold of that, like, okay, so in our thoughts, we have to grab hold of their thoughts to understand God's thoughts. It can get a little overwhelming. So let's listen to this definition of epinosis and acknowledge to, to gain some footing. It indicates a complete comprehension after the first knowledge of a matter. So the first knowledge is God showing himself through creation, but they didn't see fit to pursue that complete comprehension of their God, to know him more. It's bringing one to be better acquainted with something known previously. So they didn't see fit to become better acquainted with their creator. It's a more exact view of something beheld before. They didn't see fit to figure out more exactly, well, who is this creator and what has he done in all these blessings around us? What is his will? What is his plan? It's a greater participation by the knower and the subject known, thus more powerfully influencing him. This means that God has made himself known to everyone through creation, and a proper response is to dig deeper. To go from simple knowledge to acknowledging him, from simple gnosis to epinosis. So, the reason that God gives them up to a debased mind, the reason that he lets go of the tether that would otherwise keep their minds from being debased, is that they did not see fit to become better acquainted with him. That was his plan. That was his purpose. Consider Adam and Eve in the garden. They walked with God in the cool of the day. No separation, nothing between them and God, a perfect relationship. But humanity has not chosen not to see fit to become better acquainted with our creator, to grow in a more specific understanding of our creator and enter into a personal relationship with our creator, which is why we were created in his image So it's a picture of image bearers who don't care that they bear the image of God, and they have chosen not to acknowledge the one whom they bear the image of. So you can think of this tether, this holding onto the boat as an invitation. The tether is this invitation, but they're rowing in the other direction while God's holding onto them, and there's a point where he lets go. That's God's wrath. Brings us to the details of this debased mind. So obviously, this is a bad thing. When God, in in His wrath, gives them over, gives humanity over to a debased mind. What are we talking about when we talk? When we say debased mind, when we exchange the truth about God for a lie and let loose of the truth with one hand, while holding on to the lies with the other. Remember, one of our points last week is you can't hold on to both. You can't hold on to the truth and the lie. You let loose of the truth to hold on to the lie, or you let loose of the lie to hold on to the truth. But it can't be both. When we do that. When we let loose of the truth, God lets loose of us. This is a humbling, sober picture of God rejecting those who reject him. The result is terrifying. It's a debased mind. A mind that is rejected. A mind that is unapproved. A mind that is disqualified and unprincipled. And a mind that is unable to do what is right. The main indicator of this debased mind is not that it doesn't know what's right. It's that it knows what's right and doesn't care. The debased mind knows the decree of God, but it just simply disregards it because it wants to do what it wants to do when it wants to do it. It's completely self-involved, edging out all the room that should be there for God. This is not a picture of uninformed foolishness. When we see God in his wrath giving humankind over to this debased mind, it's a picture of very informed opposition to God. This isn't people just accidentally stumbling into rejecting God. This is informed opposition to God. We also find that a debased mind is not neutral, is it? What does it say there in the text? Given over to a debased mind? To do what not ought to be done. It is not neutral. It is not idle. It is at work. The debased mind is busy. The debased mind is busy and at work doing what ought not to be done. And if you're wondering, what is it that ought not to be done? All right, boom. This is a major transition point. Act like you haven't seen that. You know, go back to the first one. There we go. This is a vice list. And this vice list, these are found throughout Scripture to explain the world outside of Christ. This vice list is the longest one in the New Testament. And it says, what is it that ought not to be done? This debased mind doing what not ought to be done, what is it that ought not to be done? They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit maliciousness, they're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. You hear that, kiddos? First time I read that, I thought, what parent got a hold of this text and just put that in the vice list? But it's fitting. This is what a debased mind does. A debased mind says, not only do I not care about what God says, I don't care about what my mom and dad say. It's not okay. Disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. We're going to spend the next three hours considering the definition for each one of these 21 things. <laughs> no, we're not, we're not meant to break it down like that this morning. What we're meant to do is consider what's going on here. What, what is this vice list? 21 vices that all have one thing in common. Every one of them is against other people. you see that? I want you to look at this. Every, you, you pick anyone out. Murder. Murder isn't this neutral th- sin. It, it terminates on someone else. Envy. It's envious of what someone else has. Strife. It's strife with someone else. Inventors of evil. That doesn't happen in a vacuum. It affects other people. This foolishness, faithless, heartless, Ruthlessness is a ruthlessness towards other people. Twenty-one vices that all have one thing in common. Every one of them is against other people. It's antisocial. Being given over to a debased mind isolates you with yourself because that's what you care about the most. And it's not only a vice list, but put that next slide up. That next slide. There we go. It's the world outside of Christ. If you want to understand what this is, don't look at it as an individual. Don't, don't look at this individual and be like, well, sometimes I can be uh, ruthless, but I don't struggle with that, so I guess this, this whole thing isn't necessarily me. No, if you're a human being, this is your human problem. This is the world outside of Christ. This is the inevitable result of not acknowledging God, a mind that is broken, the inevitable outcome of excluding God from your thinking. Of going day after day after day, tending to your work, tending to your family, tending to your finances, and not acknowledging God. The result is that we reject and we wrong each other. The present operation of the wrath of God is seen in an antisocial progression of sin begetting sin to the point where sinner is filled to the brim with all manner of All that is ungodly and all that is unrighteous, when I hear that, it makes me think of the time before the flood that God looked down and not one, there could not be found one pure motive in any thought of all humanity. That was the reason for the flood. They were filled to the brim, all manner of all unrighteousness and all ungodliness. There's no more room for anything that might be good. The moral compass is broken and nobody cares. Every item on the vice list is an unrighteousness toward other people because idolaters are consumed with self. This is the world outside of Christ. One scholar states abandonment to a depraved mind opens the floodgates to evil and the saturation of human personality with obsession for the vile. Obsession for the vile. That sounds, that is strong language. You might be thinking, is that too strong? What are our forms of entertainment? When we consider the shows and the movies, and we're going to come back to that in a minute, but the, the, the content of the songs, the content of conversations, indeed the world outside of Christ has this saturation of humanity with an obsession for what is vile and unholy. Another states, the stress falls upon the completeness with which unrighteousness has come to exercise control over its subjects this is christless community it's a community this is a community but it's not a healthy community it's not an unbroken community it's not a healed community it's not a redeemed community this is a christless community where unrighteousness rules over the members of it sounds pretty bad right it gets worse look at verse 32 Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice all this deserve to die. They not only do them, but they give approval to those who do them. This deserves death. The debased mind says, I'm going to keep doing it, and I'm going to give approval to others who do this. It's not hard to look around in our culture and in our world and see the present operation of this. This isn't a theory. This is observable reality for everyone who doesn't have a debased mind. And maybe you're struggling with that, or you're in that, or you're in a community of broken people and you're thinking, maybe this is why I don't feel any real love from anybody. We could oversimplify and say, maybe you need new friends. But the reality is you need Jesus we're getting to this morning, spoiler alert, we're get to the part about Jesus. It almost sounds like the only thing worse than such vile living is approving of it in others, doesn't it? It almost sounds like the only thing worse than this just obsession with vileness type of community, the only thing worse than such a thing could be approving it, being cool with it, being okay with it, giving approval to others. This kind of wrath-filled living, I want want us to see what's going on here. People in sin, looking at people in sin, saying, thumbs up, I approve. This kind of wrath-filled living recruits others while oppressing them at the same time. They regularly invite others, through approval, into a community of death and rejection. The result is a community where there is no relationship that is fulfilling because there is no genuine love for others. Standards disappear. Society disintegrates. The world outside of Christ does not see fit to acknowledge God. So God gives them up to a debased mind. And with a debased mind, the lost world bites and devours one another while giving approval to others. Who do the same thing. Which brings us to our first application point this morning. Praise God for a Christian community. I hope you see the just absolute diametric difference between the two. Application one. Praise God for a Christian community. While the world outside of Christ is released from God's hand. And overtaken by death and destruction and brokenness and division, while God is releasing them to that, giving them over to that, God is also gathering together a people for his possession, a people for his own name. A people who don't tear each other down, but build each other up. A people who edify and encourage, where the first shall be last and the last Shall be first. A people who look not only to their own interests, but also to the interests of others. A people who seek to outdo one another in showing honor. Do you see how different that is than the vice list that we just looked at? Seeking to outdo one another in showing honor. Praise God for that. A people who don't have to be right all the time. A people who don't have to be first all the time. This is why the church, the gathered people of God, is salty and aromatic and bright. While the world around us devours each other, while literally nation after nation is bent on wronging each other through the envy and covetousness and murder and strife and maliciousness, there are some who will see the community of faith and wonder why we are different. We're supposed to be different. Why they take such good care of each other. Why they seek to do good, why they love one another and bear one another's burdens. Not becoming weary of doing good, but making the most of every opportunity. So, part of this application point is join a church, if you haven't already, and become actively involved. And if you are a member of this church or any other church, stay actively involved. Love and be loved. Know and be known. The only way to be brought into this community is through Jesus Christ. He is our wrath absorber, and through him we have this gift of unity in Christ that is completely different from the terrifying vice list of the world outside of Christ that's been over, given over to a debased mind. The second application point this morning is acknowledge God. God. The thing that led to this, the problem, was not acknowledging God. Acknowledge him in creation. Acknowledge God personally as your thoughts are filled with him day after day. Acknowledge him in your work. Acknowledge him in your parenting. Acknowledge him in your homes. Acknowledge him in the car ride somewhere. Talk to your kids about it. It's the world outside of Christ that goes day after day after day without acknowledging and giving thought towards God. So, for those in Christ, it isn't fitting to ever go a single day or even a single hour without thoughts towards our God, without genuine acknowledgement of our Creator, acknowledging Him in all things, giving thanks to Him for such provision and such blessing. The third thing is this as we look at what's going on, those given over, this world outside of Christ, That means a Christian community must be about far more than affirmation, right? Do you see the connection there? The debased mind, godless, outside of Christ's community, approves everything. When you find a community in this world that doesn't care anything about what you do, will only affirm and approve you, it's evil, if you finally find that place where no one will bother you, and where no one will ask you any hard questions, and where there will be no room for like, accountability and searchability and knowing and being known, you're in an evil place. The church must be about far more than affirmation. Regarding those who give approval to sinful living, we have to be careful. Here's what we see. Here's something we can glean from this passage. Unrepentant people will often be very affirming. Unrepentant people will have to be very affirming. I mean, really, this is the heart of when people say, I don't know, man, I kind of like hanging out with my uh, non-church friends more than I do my church friends. Well, the heart of it is unrepentant people are affirming. Because if they don't care what they're doing, why should they care what you're doing? If you are simply seeking affirmation for what you want to do in life, this means that it's likely you'll find it. Right? If you just want someone to affirm whatever in the world you want to do, There's an unrepentant world outside of Christ that will affirm you. So if you're seeking that affirmation, it is very, very likely that you will find it. But in seeking affirmation, it's possible that you're only seeking someone to make you feel better about your sin. Yes, church people are designed to not let you feel better about your sin. That doesn't mean they're judgmental in a worldly sense. It means that they care about the judgment of God and love you enough to not just affirm you. If someone is caught up in sin, the least loving thing you can do is affirm them and give approval to them. Well, that's just their decision. Don't affirm that. Don't approve that. Don't care more about that relationship than you do their holiness. That's what we're seeing here. The church has to be about far more than affirmation. If you can't handle anything other than affirmation in your life, it's possible that you love affirmation more than you love Jesus. Let that land. If you can't handle anything other than people saying, you're awesome, what you're doing is awesome, I don't want to speak against you. If you you can't handle anything other than affirmation, it might be that you love affirmation more than you love Jesus, or you love yourself more than you love Jesus. Idolaters are consumed with self. Our fourth application point this morning is that we have to consider the role of your mind in your journey of faith. Turn to Romans 12. Turn to Romans 12. One of the tricky things about preaching through Romans, expository, verse by verse, we're allowing God to sort of set the agenda for our Christian community when we preach through, whether it's Romans or Ben's going to be jumping back to Ephesians. Uh, we've been in other, a lot of other books, Isaiah, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy. One of the difficult things in Romans is that the part about what do we do doesn't come until chapter 12. So it's going to be like 2048, the year 2048, before we get to Romans chapter 12, because chapters 1 through 11 are, this is what God is doing. This is who God is. This is who you are. You can only genuinely understand yourself when you understand yourself as a created being who has a creator God who rules and reigns over you. Eleven chapters of that, and then we get to the therefore in Romans 12. But it's fitting for us to go here at the end of a series on God's wrath, especially when we see that the pinnacle of his wrath being poured out is a result of a a debased mind. We have to consider the role of our thinking and the role of our minds in our journey of faith. Romans 12, 1-2 says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, that's like saying, because of everything I've said in the past 11 chapters, here's my appeal to you. By the mercies of God, Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the opposite of being given over to a debased mind being transformed by the renewal of your mind. Rather than being given over to a debased mind in Christ, we are transformed by the renewal of our minds. Your thoughts matter. The thing that we have to see here is that it's one or the other. Remember, we can't hold on to the truth and the lie at the same time. And what that means is that you can't be conformed to the world and be transformed by the renewal of your mind. You have to let loose of one to have the other. So you're either going to let loose of being conformed to the world by being transformed by the renewal of your mind Or you will let loose of being transformed by the renewal of your mind while holding closely to being conformed to the world. It will be one or the other. You will either be conformed to the world or you will be transformed by the renewal of your mind. In fact, transformation through renewal is the only hope for someone who has a debased mind. Transformation through renewal in Christ is the only hope for someone who has a debased mind. If this is... um, If this is how we keep from being conformed to the world, is it not obvious that one way that the world tries to conform us to itself is through our thoughts? Right? The world... You may be thinking, well, I'm not worried about the world trying to conform me. This is God's world. Hold on. 2 Corinthians 4 says the God of this world, lowercase g, God, wants to blind the minds and the hearts of the unbelievers in Christ. Uh, Rewind... The God of this world wants to blind the minds and hearts of the unbelievers from seeing the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The God of this world is Satan. The God of this world is, is the devil. Oh, there will be a new heavens and a new earth. There will be complete and total and full redemption. But right now, what we know from scripture is that the God of this world is the enemy. And so the world wants you to be conformed because that's what Satan does. He does there's no love, there's no care. It has become worldly, be conformed to the world. And what we can see through this text is that the world will try to conform us to itself through our thoughts. The world will try to conform us to itself through our thoughts. So be careful about the movies and the TV shows you watch and the music you listen to and the conversations you take part in. You can't let your 10-year-old listen to gangster rap and think it's not going to affect them. It's ridiculous. We can't watch these movies that are essentially a dramatic and poetic presentation of the vice list we looked at and think that that's okay. We can't be entertained by that which is vile. That shouldn't be appealing to God's people. So consider the role of your mind on the journey of faith. For through your listening and watching and conversing, you may be giving approval to those who practice such a life, a life of death. And in doing so, you might be conformed to the world. The world outside of Christ doesn't give much thought to their thoughts. The world outside of Christ doesn't give much thought to their thoughts. They're just wrapped up in the river of death and destruction, and they just do what they want to do, and it's brokenness and heartache. But we take our thoughts captive to obey Christ. It was what I read in 2 Corinthians ten five this morning. We take our thoughts captive to obey Christ. Just absolutely exercising dominion and conquering anything that doesn't acknowledge God properly. A redeemed mind has the ability to exercise control over unrighteousness. A redeemed mind has the ability to exercise control over unrighteousness. As we prepare to take the supper this morning, I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-three says this. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And listen, it says... In the same way, he also took the cup after the supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and as often as you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. For us, as often as we do it is every week. Every time we gather, we proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. And what we are proclaiming is this cup of a new covenant covenant. Our supper is one of the new covenant. The old covenant couldn't save us. The old covenant of Adam, the old covenant of the law, could not save us. We cannot achieve salvation through the old covenant, and we absolutely must have a new covenant. And that new covenant where salvation can be found is in Christ Jesus. As offspring of Adam, we were conceived in iniquity and brought forth in sin... Because death entered the world through sin and spread to all people. This cup that we're about to take is the new covenant in Jesus' blood. This means that we proclaim Christ's death because it's good news. It's good news because he didn't stay dead. It's good news that we proclaim through the supper because after three days he came back to life conquering his death, conquering my death, conquering your death, and conquering the death of anyone who is in this new covenant with Christ through faith. This covenant is a marriage between Jesus and his bride, the church. So rather than a community of death that's the result of a depraved mind, we are a community of life that's the result of a transformed mind and a renewed life that is found in a new covenant with Jesus Christ through faith. I want you to consider how immensely blessed we are and to consider if you are acknowledging God in that manner and consider the lost world that needs to hear this message as we distribute the elements.